happy Father's Day to all of our dads, either here or watching online. So I thought in honor of Father's Day that I would share with you a few uh, Father's Day jokes. Um, my daughter's already looked at my jokes and said they're not funny, but um, they're dad jokes, so they're funny to me. So uh, here's just a few of them that I will share with you. Uh, I had a friend who was addicted to the hokey pokey. It was a rough couple of years, but he turned himself around. Why don't they play poker in the jungle? Too many cheetahs, obviously. Uh, my buddy has two Dobermans. Their names are Rolex and Timex. They're watchdogs. How much did they... <laughs> Some of you, see, I, I, this is, the dads are laughing hardest on this. How much did the pirate pay for his earrings? A buccaneer. I ate four cans of alphabets. I was hungry yesterday. I ate four cans of, of alphabet soup yesterday, and then I had the biggest vowel movement ever. That truly is a dad joke right there. Uh, and then the last one in honor of my father-in-law. Why do milking stools only have three legs? Because the cow has the udder. I didn't tell you they would be good. I just said they would be dad jokes. So there you go. You're quite welcome. But all joking aside, again, we do want to wish all of our dads a uh, happy Father's Day today. And uh, thank you for all that you do and, and all that you are uh, to us. And we just thank you. Uh, of course, I also know that uh, today, like Mother's Day, carries with it a mixture of emotions for a number of different reasons, both positive and negative. And so I recognize that, that uh, not everyone's had the best experience. And uh, I would say even though you may not have had the best dad, uh, one, uh, that just because you didn't get it doesn't mean you can't give it. And I know a lot of dads who didn't have the best of dads, but are fantastic dads. And so I thank you to all of those. But I also hope that you know this morning that regardless of what your earthly father was like, both either positive or, or negative, that most importantly, you have a heavenly father who loves you and cares for you. And I hope that you know that uh, regardless of whether you are a dad or a mom or where, wherever you, you fall uh, on the spectrum. But that being said, I think most dads would agree that while being a dad uh, is one of the hardest things in, in life, it is also one of the best and most worthwhile things that you will ever do. I love being a dad. I love the fact that God has given me the the opportunity and the blessing and the responsibility of being a dad to my uh, two amazing children. I love that he's given me a family, uh, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but you know who else loves being a dad? It is God. God loves being, our, our Heavenly Father loves being uh, a dad. In fact, being a father was his idea. Uh, and some 4,000 years ago, a guy by the name of Abraham wanted to be a dad as well. And we're going to spend some time talking about Abraham this morning, and yet for a long time in his life, that didn't happen. Basically, Abraham and his wife Sarah were childless for the first majority and the vast majority of their life. At 75 years old, he gets this promise from God. God comes to him, comes to him and says, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a son, and then through you, I'm going to raise up a great nation. Through him, I'm going to raise up a great nation. But it's still another 25 years before that promise 
comes to fruition. Abraham is 100 years old when his son Isaac is born. And the whole time, Abraham is having to trust in God and walk with God. Now, there are certainly some bumps along the road because nobody walks with God perfectly. But he must have done something right because Abraham is listed in what is basically known as the the hall of faith. We kind of term it the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, these great men and women of faith that are recorded in Scripture. And here's what Hebrews, the Hebrew writer talks about, starting in verse 1. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did his son Isaac and his son, or grandson Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And then verse 12, And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, meaning that he was past childbearing years, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Well, there is much to learn from the life of Abraham, but I'm going to try and keep things simple this morning because as dads, we men, we like things as simple as they can be. And so I want to offer four things. I want to offer two affirmations and I want to offer two challenges uh, that I think we see from this, this passage, this section of scripture, this story. And I understand, I'm talking to everybody. We all can glean from this message. Every time you know, I do a Mother's Day message or a Father's Day message, I want to make sure you realize, don't, don't tune out just because you're not a dad. Um, you know, Mother's Day, don't tune out just because you're not a mom. This is for all of us. We all can glean from this. But since today is Father's Day, I'm going to gear it a little bit more towards the dads. And so here's the first affirmation that I would give to our dads. Working to provide for your family is honorable. Okay, I think as dads, we need to hear that. Working to provide for your family is honorable. And listen, I know that, that moms play a part in this too, but hey, it's dad's day, so I'm, I'm going to talk to the, the guys today and the dads today. And for a lot of dads, I think we feel that burden. There's just something in us that we want to provide for our family. We want to make sure that our families are, are secure and stable and depended on, or dependable. Um, that, that things are dependable for our families and, and that our families are taken care of. And, and, and that's certainly an honorable thing. I think we, um, you know, sometimes we, that gets lost in the, in the shuffle sometimes. But that is a, an honorable thing to take care of and provide for our families. And I think one thing that, that Abraham would remind us of as we look at his story uh, is that you're not on your own in that. You know, we're not doing this alone when we talk about providing for our families. I think sometimes as guys we feel like the burden all falls on us, uh, but you're not alone in this. God is our ultimate provider. God provided for Abraham, allowing Abraham to provide for his family and for his son Isaac. And, and for us as dads, you know, we have all these, these hopes and dreams for our kids, and, and we want to do all that we can to make those hopes and dreams a reality. And I just want to affirm dads in that because Working to provide for your family is an honorable thing. I hope you remember that. And so keep up the good work. But providing is more than financial. Providing for your family is more than financial, right? It's, it's also relational and emotional and spiritual. And so here's the second affirmation that I'm going to give you and just spend a little bit of time on just this morning. And it's this. Making time for your family is vital. Providing for your family, that's an honorable thing to do, but making time for your family is 
vital. Now, I, I know we know this, but I just want to reinforce it because, you know, certainly it takes time and it takes energy and it's demanding and difficult at times. But I, I want to make sure we know how important it is to make time for our families and to spend time with them. And yes, providing is honorable and that is important, but you're not simply their benefactor. As dads, we're not simply our kids' benefactors. You, you are their dad. And so make the time and take the time because that is vital and powerful. You know, one of the things that I, I try to work on, and I heard this a few years ago, and just this idea that, that I've really tried to implement, and I'm not great at it, but I, I want to be a dad who doesn't say no so often. Now, there's plenty of times, trust me, where I tell my kids no, and they will attest to that. But, but what I'm really talking about is when my kids ask me to do something or want me to do something with them, I want to be a dad who says yes to those things. You know, sometimes it's easy as, as parents to just kind of, well, I, I'm tired. I don't really want to do this. You know, I, I, you know I, I'm exhausted. I just want to do my own thing. And, and I want to be a dad who, who says yes in those situations more than I say no. Because making time for our kids is so vital and important. But then I also think Abraham would challenge us. And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning, and here's the first challenge. We're just going to get right into it. Again, guys, we want to know what, what's the gist of things. So we're going to get right into it. And here's the first thing I would give you. Real dads live real trust. Real dads live real trust. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of our time, both in Hebrews, but a lot of our time really in Genesis chapter 22, uh, where we find this story of, of Abraham and, and Isaac. So if you would turn with me there, you can follow along on the screen. But here's what... Uh, Moses writes in, in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, or said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So, so hold on just a second. Sacrifice your son? How does that make any sense at all? I mean, for starters, God has already given this promise to Abraham, right? Through you, I'm going to make a great nation. And Isaac is the fulfillment of that promise. He is, he, he is the son through whom that great nation is going to come. And so how are you going to, to become a great nation without any kids? I mean, the very gift and fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham, now he's telling him, to sacrifice him, let alone the fact that this is his son, even more than that, his only son. How does that make any sense, at least in the moment? I, as I read this as a, as a father, uh, I can't even imagine what is going through Abraham's mind as, as he's hearing these words of God. How does he, how does he process this, this, this command that God gives to him? But remember, a, I can't answer that question, but I, given some context here, remember, Abraham doesn't get here just by sheer luck. If you know the story of Abraham, it's not that he just wanders into this. It's not that he even gets there by, by hard work. Abraham gets to this point by trusting in God. Remember, he's 100 years old when Isaac is finally born. I, I don't care how much hard work and, and dedication you put into that. You ain't making that happen, if you know what I mean, right? You're not going to make that happen at 100 years old. And so Abraham got to this point by trusting God, the God who he's seen work and move and provide and be faithful. And yet here Abraham is again 
having to flesh that out and walk that out in faith. Because, listen, I, I, I know we know this, but sometimes it's hard to process it. Walking out our faith is not a one-time thing, right? I, I mean, you know, you, you put your faith in God, you give your life to Him, you're baptized into Him, and, and that's, that's good, but it doesn't... I always tell people, that, that's not the end, that's the beginning. That's the beginning of faith. Faith, walking that out is not a one-time thing. It's not a used-to-do thing. It's, it's, it's got to be a present-day thing. It's each day in front of me thing. It's not a one-time lesson. It is a lesson that you have to learn and practice repeatedly over and over again. It had been some, you think about this, it had been some 40 to 50 years since God had made that original promise to Abraham that you're going to have a son. Through this son, I'm going to make a great nation. And so that lesson has to be repeated. That lesson of trust has to be repeated. And, and just to be clear, this, in case you're you know, confused here, this test from God is not a test for all of us, okay? God doesn't ask anybody to, to sacrifice their son. This isn't our, our test. God has never asked anybody else to do that. And he doesn't, in the end, ask Abraham to do that. If you know the end of the story, God does not require that of Abraham. But it is a picture of what God does end up doing with his own son. His one and only son, Jesus, sacrificing him out of love for you and me. But while this story certainly gives us a foretaste of what God does through Jesus, this story isn't really about God's love. This story is about Abraham's love. Abraham, who do you love? Who's first? Who's God? Who are you going to trust in your life. And while this particular test may not be for us, the lesson of trust certainly is. And one thing about Abraham, you, you learn about Abraham as you read, and, and really all of these people of faith, is, is they were able to listen and hear the voice of God. And while it may be different for us, we, we don't li you know, literally hear the voice of God, we, we do have the word of God, right? We have the wisdom of God. We have the truth of God right here fleshed out for us in God's Word. And we know what he's told us to do. We know how he's told us to live. And the question for us is the same as it was for Abraham. Do we trust God's word and follow it? And what set Abraham apart was that he trusted God. He may not have always understood, but he trusted God. I mean, God gives Abraham, you just think through it, God gives Abraham this command. And it seems crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And yet verse 3 says... God, or Abraham, early the next morning, got up, loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And so right away, Abraham trusted, and he obeyed. I should have told Jeff to, to sing the song, because maybe it had been a good reminder of us, trust and obey. We sing that song often. I guess the question comes down to, do we truly believe that? Abraham did and he got up and went. And he took his son to a place called Mount Moriah. That's where God sent Abraham on this test to see if he really trusted him and followed him first. And again, this is, this is for all of us, right? This is not just for, for Abraham or for dads. This is for all of us. But I'm talking to dads in particular this morning. But men, dads, God will often send you up Mount Moriah to test your trust in him. You know, it, Everything's not always going to be easy. It's those hard times that really put our trust to the test. Do you trust him? 
Who's first? Who's God in your life? Because there's got to be something on the line to figure out who or what you place your trust in. I mean, we can say that we trust him, right? But it's in those difficult times, it's in those walks up Mount Moriah that we figure out where our trust truly is. But there's going to be times when that trust is put to the test. And it's going to have to be more than just words that come out of our mouths. It's going to have to be trust that's manifested in obedience. So who are you going to trust? Who's going to be first in your life? Real dads live real trust. I love what author John Maxwell says. He says, everything worthwhile is uphill. Don't you find that to be true? I mean, everything that's really worthwhile takes some work. It's a challenge. Nothing that ever came easy was like, oh, yeah. I, you know, in, in the end, it's those times of, of, of greatest testing that we have to persevere that truly bring about those greatest things in our lives. And men, we like a challenge. But perhaps the greatest challenge we're given in this life is who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? And it's those walks up Mount Moriah that truly show where our hope and our trust lies. And when you really trust God, it defines you as a man and it redefines you as a dad. Because whatever is in you as a man, I think this is important for us to hear, whatever is in you as a man is going to be transferred out of you as a dad. So you think about the kind of man you are. You, we can talk all day long about the kind of dads we want to be. But the way you live your life and the trust that you profess and live out is what's going to be transferred through you to your kids. So don't be surprised if we don't live out real faith and real trust if it's not transferred on to our kids. Because it's got to be lived out and fleshed out. That's why real men, real dads, live real trust. And look, it's not because Abraham could see, right? It's not because Abraham could see all that was going on. It's not because he walked up Mount Moriah and he knew this whole, uh, how this whole thing was going to play out. He, he didn't know how it was going to play out. And he just knows that God has called him to sacrifice his only son. He could not see what was going on. And that's why we need to trust. And so you just walk through Abraham's life for a moment. At the age of 75, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham can't see. He doesn't know how God's going to to do that, but he decides that he's going to choose to trust God. And yet even though God has promised this son for the next 25 years, you ever waited for something? 25 years waited for something? That can be frustrating. And yet for the next 25 years, no son. For the next 25 years, Abraham can't see what God is doing, but he agrees to trust. Then at the age of 100, God gives him a son, finally gives him a son, Isaac. And now Abraham, to a certain extent, can see. He can see what God is doing. He can see the, the blessing of a son in his life and his family. So for the next 20 to 25 years, Abraham enjoys his son Isaac, and it's a blessing. And again, he can see what God is doing. But then God says, I want you to go up Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your son. And once again, Abraham can't see. He can't see how this makes sense. He can't see what God is doing. But what does he choose to do? Trust and obey. And it's that real trust that he was living that enabled him to give real hope to his son. 
It's when we live real trust that we can pass real hope on to our children, to our kids. And that's the second challenge that I want to give us this morning that we see from Abraham's life. Not only do real dads live real trust, but real dads transfer real hope. You see, Abraham knew that this was not just going to be a test for him, right? If you know much about the story, this is not just a test for Abraham. This is also a test for Isaac as well. Because while we don't know exactly how old Isaac was at this point, some scholars um, think that uh, he, he was in a certain age range, but I'll tell you in a second. We, we don't know from Scripture, but some uh, scholars think he was between 18 and 25 years old, right? Now, other scholars will tell you that he couldn't have been a teenager because it wouldn't have been a sacrifice at that point. Those of you who are parents of teenagers probably know that. But um, somewhere in that age range, I say that to say that he's not a young boy. He's a young man. He's a young man. And so this wasn't just a test for Abraham. This is a test for Isaac as well. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw, in the, saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while me and Isaac go over here. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And Isaac himself carried the fire and the knife. And as they're going up together, Isaac turns to his father and he says, hey, dad, I see the, the, the fire. I see the wood. I see what we're going to do. But where's the lamp for the burnt offering? Where's the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? He says, the Lord will provide. Notice that he doesn't say the Lord has provided. Abraham can't see what God is doing. Abraham doesn't know how this is going to play out, nor does Isaac for that matter, which probably a little bit easier. I don't know. What, what, what's easier even? Think about those two situations, right? You think, well, you know, Abraham doesn't know, you know, putting Isaac in a tough spot. Imagine the spot that, that Abraham is in. And this is just such a test of faith from both Abraham and Isaac. And yet, he transfers real hope to his son. He says, son, don't worry about it. God will provide. Just trust me and trust in God. And because of that real trust that Abraham then has, he then transfers real hope to his son. And Hebrews 11 kind of fills in the gaps for us a little bit. We don't have the full story in Genesis 22, but Hebrews 11 kind of fills in the gaps. Starting in verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Well, he didn't go through with it, but he was in the process of doing that. He who had embraced the promises, talking about Abraham, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, here's what's going through his mind, part of what's going through his mind. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, Isaac couldn't see what his dad was doing right in that moment. But he trusted in his dad because he knew who his dad was. And Abraham couldn't see what God was doing right in that moment. But he trusted in his dad. Because he knew who his dad was. As Hebrews said, Abraham knew that this is the God who raises dead things to life. 
He knew that this is the God who can take dead dreams and things that have fallen apart and things that don't work and things that don't come together and he can raise those things to new life. And Abraham knew this because his very son Isaac was a living example of just that. That God could take something dead like Abraham and Sarah's physical bodies, their capacity to reproduce and have children at the age of 100. That, that's dead. That, that's, not, that's not happening, right? And yet God gave them this miracle child, Isaac, demonstrating that he can take dead things and raise them to life. Abraham didn't know how God was going to solve this dilemma of Isaac being the promised son and yet Abraham called to sacrifice him. How, how is this going to work out? He doesn't know. But he says, okay, well, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know how God's going to work it out. But I do know what he's capable of. I know he's capable of bringing dead things to life. And so even if I do offer Isaac, God can raise him from the dead. I believe that he can do that. Now, ultimately, God doesn't have Abraham do that because he stops Abraham before he goes through with it. And so he says to Abraham, now I know that, that you fear me, that you love me, that I'm first in your life because you didn't withhold from me your only son. And as Abraham looks up, he sees a ram caught in the thicket. And so he goes over, he takes the ram, and he ends up sacrificing that instead of Isaac. And so Abraham called that, the scripture says, Abraham called that place. So, so fitting, right? The Lord will provide. And to this day, on the mountain, as it said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And whether it's a ram that God provides or a resurrection that God provides, you can know that it's the nature of God and the power of God who can raise dead things to life. And real dads live with real trust and transfer real hope. They know that. They know that. They know that God can take dead dreams and, and broken things and things that didn't work out the way we thought they were, they were going to and ultimately transfer hope into the lives of their kids to say, listen, if you will just trust God, it may not make sense. You may not see what the future holds. I can look back on my own life and I can see there were times where I had no idea what was going on. And I, I, you know, I wish God would have given me just... Let me see some things, right? And we've all had those things. But even when we can't see, we can transfer that hope to our kids to say, even when you can't see, you can have real hope. It may not happen the way you think it should. It may not happen the way that you want it to. But if you trust God, you'll find that real hope proves God's capacity to bring new life out of what it seems like dead things. That's the God we serve. And listen, the reality is that you may not be able to see it all that's happening and how it's all going to work out on, on the way up to Mount Moriah. But oftentimes you can see it on the back, way back down, right? You look back at those times and you see how God was moving and how God was working. And, and everybody wants this mountaintop faith, right? We all want to have this, this, this mountaintop faith, but you can't have it without going up the mountain of trust. You can't have mountaintop faith without walking up the mountain and trusting. It's then that you figure it out. It wasn't on the way up that Abraham could see, but when you can't see, you trust. And when he lived real trust, he then transferred real hope that God would provide. And guess what? In the end, God does. God does provide. 
And Abraham could see, say, okay, now, now I see. Now I see what God is doing, at least in this moment. Because again, there's, there's a whole bunch that Abraham can't see. You know, we can look back and we're like, oh yeah, he could see that. No, he couldn't. He's walking blindly, but he's not completely blind because he's trusting in God. And there's so much Abraham couldn't see. He couldn't see further down the road. But when you, but what you trust when you trust God is that you, you, you see bigger, right? Because God can see further than what you and I can see. And so even though we can't see, we trust in the God who can and that you're part of a, a bigger story. You're part of a bigger narrative. You see, Abraham, I find this so interesting. Abraham had no idea how meaningful this Mount Moriah would be. And the things that would come out of, of this place. He couldn't see that hundreds of years down the road, King David, one of his descendants, would have a time where he sinned against God. And that tens of thousands of Israelites would be suffering and dying because of that sin that David committed. And that David, David would purchase this very land at Mount Moriah and offer sacrifices to God. And that God, in his mercy, would relent. Israel would be rescued. And Abraham couldn't see that at the very place, Mount Moriah, where God asked him to sacrifice his son, that the temple would be built by David's son, Solomon. The very place that the nation of Israel would offer sacrifices and, 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 and sacrifice lambs to atone for their sins so that the presence of a holy God could be among them. And Abraham couldn't see that those sacrifices would be, the, would be the forerunner of the coming Messiah, Jesus, the true Lamb of God, the one and only Son of God, who would one day die to take away the sins of the world, although not at Mount Moriah, but on another mount, on a hill called Calvary. And it started all the way back with Abraham simply trusting. And so if you want to be a bit part of a bigger Story And make no mistake, God is writing a bigger story. Then you have to see bigger. You have to see bigger. And that's what trust is. Even when Abraham couldn't see, he trusted. And even when he could see, he couldn't see that far down the road. None of us can. But if you want to be part of a bigger story, you have to choose to see bigger. And seeing bigger means seeing bigger. God And when we follow Him and we trust in Him, oftentimes we may not be able to see what lies ahead. But that's okay. Because no matter what lies ahead, we can still see Him. And listen, as dads, I don't need to tell you this. Your wives probably already tell you that already. You're going to mess up, right? We, we don't get it right all the time. But we don't get it right most of the time. I mean, you go look at Abraham's story. He messed up too. And so has every single dad who has ever walked the face of the earth and ever will walk the face of the earth. But he was willing to go up that mountain and to trust in the God who raises dead things to life. Because that's what real dads do. They live real trust. And they transfer real hope to their kids and their families. Because they, their trust and their hope is of the one perfect Dad, our Heavenly Father, and in His Son, Jesus Christ.